You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I couldn't be prouder. I was quoted in the Sunday Times this weekend, big newspaper in the UK, in Sarah Didham's piece about a maintenance sex scandal they're having over there. Caprice Beret, never heard of her. She's an American model, lives in the UK, famous over there, I guess. Caprice told OK Magazine that a woman should never say no to sex with her man. You can't say, I'm tired or I have a headache. No, girls, my advice, even if you aren't in the mood because it's been a long day, it's just 10 minutes of your life. Ha ha, or 15. Ugh. First things first, you can say, I'm tired or I have a headache or I'm not in the mood. But everyone, everyone in an LTR is going to have a little maintenance sex now and then. Sex when you're not in the mood for sex, but your partner is. No one should ever have sex when they don't want to, of course. But sometimes we want to have sex for reasons other than wanting to have sex ourselves. Sometimes we want to have sex to take care of a partner who is in the mood for sex. It's still wanted sex. It's just not sex we wanted for sex's sake. Sarah Didham talked to me at length and along with my other thoughts about maintenance sex, the Sunday Times quoted me telling straight people to broaden their definition of sex. Standard advice around here. I give it all the time for lots of reasons. But it's relevant to the maintenance sex discourse because if more things count as sex and if some of those things are less physically taxing, the partner who's horny might be likelier to get a yes from the partner who isn't and get a little maintenance sex to tide them over until everybody's horny again. Anyway, here's the quote that made it into the piece in the Sunday Times, Sarah Didham's piece, that I'm proudest of. And I'm really, really shocked it made it into Didham's piece, made it into the Sunday Times. It doesn't have to be penis and vagina sex to count. Quote, this is me now. If you're the one being penetrated, sex is more taxing, Savage says. I tell straight men all the time that if every time you said yes to sex, your ass got fucked, you might say yes less often. But if your definition of sex also includes I'm going to perform cunnilingus on you while I jack off, you might get yes more often. For the record, I would have preferred to see that quote in a paper in the UK or anywhere else that wasn't owned by Rupert fucking Murdoch and wasn't therefore part of the problem, part of Every problem, the rise of authoritarianism, right-wing extremism, climate change denialism, anti-mask bullshit, anti-vax bullshit, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, every problem that we've got, Murdoch and his papers and fucking Fox News either created or made worse. But I was sincerely, really happy to see that quote of mine in print for reasons I'll get to in a minute. But first, a few more thoughts I wanted to share about maintenance sex. A lot of people have a kind of impulsive, knee-jerk, negative reaction when they hear the phrase maintenance sex because doesn't that mean someone out there is having sex they didn't want to have and isn't someone having sex that they didn't want to have kind of rapey? No, no. People who condemn maintenance sex for being rapey are making a category error. They are conflating maintenance sex with coerced sex and lumping both in together when they are two very different things. If you don't want to have sex, but you do want to please your partner or meet their needs or pay them back for having met yours when they weren't feeling like it, maintenance sex is not a one-way street. 
that's not coerced sex. A person, again, can want to have sex for reasons other than wanting to have sex. It still wanted sex then, right? But if you're in a relationship with someone and they tell you they're going to dump you if you don't fuck them right that minute and you have sex with them for that reason because you're afraid, well, that's coerced sex. That's not maintenance sex and that's not okay. I think people mix up maintenance sex with coerced sex because sometimes we coerce ourselves into having maintenance sex. One person wants sex, the other doesn't. The person who does want sex isn't engaging in any coercive behavior. They're not making threats. But the person who doesn't want sex gets in their head and begins to worry that they might get dumped if they don't put out right that minute. And so they put out because they're afraid, which means it's possible for two people to have sex and for one of those people to think they're getting a little maintenance sex and for the other person to feel like, they're being coerced into having sex. And in a sense, they are being coerced into having sex. They're coercing themselves. Anyway, as with any issue that touches on sex and relationships, it's almost impossible. It's not almost, it is impossible to cover every angle in a single newspaper article or a single sex advice column or on a single podcast for that matter. This shit is infinitely complicated because relationships are infinitely complicated which means you should always disregard simplistic advice like you should never say no or you should always say yes. But hey, hey, it is really good to live in a world where we can talk about this shit in big newspapers now, on big media platforms, and talk about it explicitly like I did in the Sunday Times. I tell straight men all the time that if every time you said yes to sex, your ass got fucked, you might say yes less often. That was in a big newspaper this weekend. And you know, when I started writing Savage Love 30 years ago, what set my column apart, what made it kind of a hit, was I let my readers talk about sex in my column in print using the same language they used when they talked about sex with their friends in a bar. It really made my column stand out 30 years ago. And while I don't think I deserve all the credit for the ways things have changed and how much things have changed, that we're now able to say shit like this in the Sunday Times – it's nevertheless intensely gratifying to me both personally and professionally that we can and do. And speaking of the 30th anniversary of Savage Love, my new book, Savage Love from A to Z, Advice on Sex and Relationships and Dating and Mating and Exes and Extras is coming out this September from Penguin Random House. Please, please, please pre-order it today at Amazon or at your local independent bookstore. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, goddess Charlotte Lashes is here. The goddess herself, the pro-dom I talked about at the top of last week's show, she's here to talk dungeons, politics, dungeon politics, and goddess Charlotte takes a few calls with me. Goddess Charlotte's on the Magnum with tons of great stuff on this week's show, micro and Magnum. Hi, I am calling with both a sex success story and kind of a question. So for the longest time, my pornographic fantasy has been massages that turn sexual. And I kind of had this fantasy come true in real life a couple weeks ago when I went and got my first post-vaccination massage. About halfway through the massage, uh, it turned into a very intimate butt massage. And I don't just mean the butt cheeks, but I mean the butthole, a little bit of labia action, 
And before that had happened, the, the person, the guy giving me the massage asked, you know, is this okay? Kind of gesturing toward my ass. And I said, yes. And that was great. And then he flipped me over. And then he asked if he could touch my tits. And I said, sure. And he oiled them up and massaged and fondled them. And then asked if I wanted a quote unquote stomach massage, which was definitely a massage of the pubic region. No penetration. And again, at every step of the way, he was asking, is this okay? To which I said, yes. So first of all, it's a success story for me. I was very close to coming, but I didn't because I was very caught off guard by the whole thing. If I go back there, I will fully be able to come knowing what is in store for me. I guess my question is, is this okay? Is this all above board? Am I participating in something problematic here? Thank you for calling. Thank you for sharing your success story. If anybody else out there has a success story you would like to share that we can start next week's show with, give us a call. You all know the drill by now. But this is equal parts success story and question. Sex advice, relationship advice, question for me. You ask, caller, after sharing your success story, is this problematic? Are you participating in something potentially problematic? Happily, for you, you didn't experience this as a problem. This was a longstanding fantasy of yours. To be getting a massage, allegedly, ostensibly, a non-sensual massage that escalates, that gets upgraded in the moment to a sensual massage. So you welcomed this. You didn't experience this as coercive. This was this was a Yahtzee moment for you. This was a fantasy coming true for you. I worry that another woman on this same guy's table might consent to be touched in the ways you consented to be touched, not because she wants to be touched that way, but because she's been socialized as a woman to defer to men, because she has some conditioned fear response around men, and she may wind up granting consent to be touched in the same ways that you granted your consent to be touched, but without the same enthusiasm and might not be looking forward to her next appointment in the same way that you're looking forward to your next appointment. So I'm going to saw the baby in half here. Wasn't problematic on your side, potentially very problematic on his side. And if you book another appointment, if you go see the same guy again, because you want this, you want this erotic massage, I think for all those other women out there who might find themselves on his table, you might want to ask him how he knew that this, that that kind of massage was what you wanted and what he does, how he makes sure not to offer that kind of massage to other women, most of whom are not going to want this particular kind of massage. Hi, Dan. I'm a woman in my mid-30s, and I am struggling with the concept of asexuality and wondering if I am. I quit drinking a few years ago, and I also quit antidepressants. And as such, my level of desire is almost nil, which is very odd, and it's really hard for myself and my partner. I'm just wondering if I'm just finding out I'm asexual because of, you know, finally being in touch with myself or if you've known antidepressants to have really damaged people's arousal. This is really odd. When we talk about antidepressants, uh, 
negatively impacting people's libidos, it's almost always going on antidepressants can really tank a person's libido, serious potential sexual side effects that not everyone's made aware of before they begin to take antidepressants. And I think that's a kind of male practice. The number of calls I get, even today, we've been talking about this for 20, 30 years, the number of calls I get even today from people who've recently gotten onto antidepressants and whose libidos tanked and they were surprised because they weren't warned that that was a potential side effect. I find that shocking. Not the case here. You went off antidepressants and alcohol at the same time and then your libido tanked. That is odd. And if there's anyone else out there who's had experience with that, please do call. Share your story. Has going off the booze and alcohol revealed that you are asexual, that that is your sexual orientation and you have always been asexual and somehow in your case, antidepressants, and maybe you've been on them for a very long time, gave you a libido that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Seems odd. I've never read a, a study that found that an asexual person went on an antidepressant, a course of antidepressants, and suddenly felt like the sexual person or the antidepressants masked their asexuality and they perceived themselves to be and functioned as allosexuals while they were on them. So I think it's likelier that you're just going through something. I mean, we're all going through something. This has been a very stressful time. Maybe you're attributing the tanking of your libido to having gone off antidepressants and booze recently, and it's the pandemic that's tanked your libido. There's research, Justin Lee Miller, frequent guest on the Love Guest, at the Kinsey Institute. People, half of people roughly reacted to the pandemic by getting hornier and having more sex and sometimes more creative sex than they used to have, and half reacted by just losing interest in sex. So maybe there's a coincidence here and not a cause and effect. You need to talk about it with your doctor. I would urge you not to reject the idea that you might be asexual. Please go to the Asexuality Visibility and Education Network and do some reading and deep thinking about it. But I would encourage you to give it some time and to talk with your doctor and see what happens with your libido. Be open to it coming back after your brain, your body has had more time to adjust to antidepressants not being a part of your system on a daily basis and booze not being a part of your system, however often you introduced alcohol into your system. What to do about your partner in the meantime, I think, is a more challenging question. How do you feel about maintenance sex? Can you go there? Can you have sex not because you want to, but because you want your partner to have the sex that your partner wants. If having sex with your partner leaves you feeling traumatized or used or jacked off inside in a way that feels traumatic, maybe not. Maybe you can't go there right now. Maybe you can't have maintenance sex. In which case, I think you should start having a conversation with your partner now about what your relationship is going to look like if your libido never comes back. If indeed you are asexual, what are your expectations? If you're not interested in sex and your partner still is, seems to me that if you want the relationship to survive, you're in a position where you're going to have to give your partner permission to seek sex elsewhere while continuing to have this committed, long-term, intimate relationship that is now not sexual with you. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s non-binary person living in the Mid-Atlantic region. 
And I have a really embarrassing question. At the beginning of the pandemic, I think is when this started, out of nowhere, me and my partner, a, a woman um, who I'm in a relationship with, have started to speak in baby voices together. And it's been really hard to stop. I've never spoken in baby voices with any of my other partners. I've always found it to be really, really weird when I've heard other couples do it before. I think it's really unsettling. And I think maybe it started in the pandemic as a way to kind of calm each other down when things were really hard is the only thing I can remember. And yeah, I guess my question is, how do we stop? We've kind of talked about it and and told each other we wanted to stop, but it's kind of become a, a habit and a muscle. And uh, we found it very difficult to stop speaking to each other in baby voices. So I would love to hear your thoughts on kind of baby voices in general, why people do it, and maybe how we can get ourselves to get out of that habit, um, because I don't find it to be particularly sexy. It definitely doesn't put me in the mood to have sex with her, um, and we're definitely doing it all the time. Why do people speak to each other in baby voices? Why do people in romantic sexual relationships speak to each other in baby voices? I couldn't tell you, but I would find it such a turnoff that anyone I was sleeping with who started speaking to me in a baby voice, I would just assume they were no longer interested in sleeping with me. Hence the baby voice. You started doing this. You can stop. You just make up your minds to knock it the fuck off or you make up your mind to knock it the fuck off. You can stop. Maybe it would help to when somebody starts speaking in a baby voice, the other person starts speaking to them with an exaggerated cockney accent just to throw a wrench into the baby voice works. I don't want to get in trouble with the little community, the adult baby diaper lover community by saying that objectively there's nothing sexy uh, about a baby voice. But I think for most people, for most people who aren't infantilists or ABDL, there would be nothing sexy about this. It would turn everything off, shut everything down. And you too, you, caller, and your partner, you just need to make a commitment to each other to stop shutting each other down. And maybe identifying that that was one of the reasons you were doing this, that that was a feature, not a bug of this baby talk, might help. Some people during the pandemic, during the lockdown, they found their libidos kind of skyrocketing. They were having a lot more sex. They were hornier. But there are other people out there who found their libidos tanking, who were less interested in sex. They reacted to the stress with the opposite impulse. The stress made them not want to fuck around. Look inside your hearts. Look inside your parts. Was that what was going on here? Were you guys less interested in sex and this was a way of talking about it without talking about it? This was a way of saying to each other, yeah, no, not feeling it without having to say that, without risking the other or both of you at the same time feeling rejected sexually in the moment, perhaps that was the psychological motivation. So this effect that you complain about doesn't put you in the mood. Maybe what was really going on here was it got you off the hook for not being in the mood in the first place. 
whatever was going on psychologically with the both of you, you just have to make a promise to stop. You know when she starts speaking to you in a baby voice. She knows when you start speaking to her in a baby voice. When she starts, you should say, no, 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 knock that off. Of course, again, in a Cockney accent. And when you start, she should say, no, no, knock that the fuck off, governor, in a Cockney accent. You have the power to knock this shit off. Do it. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis woman in my late 20s calling from Italy. And I have a question about foreplay, specifically foreplay for males. I'm um, in a long-standing, stable relationship with my partner, who is a cis man. And... Although we have a great sexual connection, there's very little that I can do to him during foreplay. And by can do, I mean very little that he's keen on me doing to him. It's not like we're not into foreplay as a couple. We are. In fact, he's very dedicated in that department, as in he dedicates himself to me plenty, which is fantastic because I can come many times. It takes me a lot of time and effort to get to the first orgasm, but once I'm past that, I can keep going. So him going down on me or touching me before we have intercourse makes that more pleasant for me. But for him, that's a different story because after he comes, he takes a fairly long time to reset before he's ready to go again. So he often doesn't want me to touch him or blow him before we fuck because he knows that if I do that he's gonna come and he comes pretty quickly if I blow him and then that's gonna be it. I mean he'll still be willing to do things to me but he himself is not gonna get hard for a while. Now I'm fully aware that we're all different thing different people, we all like different things. So just because some men like to have their dick sucked before they fuck doesn't mean all men do. And I would never pressure my partner to let me do something to him that he doesn't want just because I have an idea that he's supposed to want that. And he, he says he doesn't mind. He says that making me come already does it for him. And after that, he's more than happy to go straight to fucking. I have no reason to disbelieve that, but I'm, I'm worried that he might be missing out on something that he might like just because we're doing something wrong or I'm doing something wrong. I should say, we've been together since we were teenagers. We've only ever slept with each other. Which honestly isn't something that bothers me per se. People often ask me, but at the end of the day, I enjoy sex with him. I don't feel unsatisfied. However, I am aware of the limitation that it poses. That is that everything we know, we've learned together from each other. So there might be things that we've never done or never done in a certain way, just because they've never occurred to either of us. So is there something that could be done differently so that he gets to get some action, focus on himself that builds up the pleasure for him without rushing things too much. I'm going to defer to your boyfriend's expertise. Your boyfriend is the expert that we need to consult and listen to about your boyfriend's dick. And there's two things your boyfriend is telling you and that you're relaying to me 
about his dick. He has a hair trigger, doesn't take him long to come, and a normal, for men, refractory period. So if he comes, he's not going to be able to fuck you 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, or during the same session. That is normal. And your boyfriend's way around this is to focus all foreplay attention on you. And that arouses him. Well, okay, that's totally legitimate. Pleasing you, eating your pussy is foreplay. And it's foreplay for the both of you. It's not just foreplay for him. But you would like, and this is also perfectly legitimate. This is perfectly understandable. You would like to engage more with him. You would like to provide him with pleasure. You would like to lavish him with the same kind of attention. You would like him to be the focus of the foreplay that you both are engaging in where you're the active participant at that moment and that discrete active foreplay and he's receiving that pleasure from you. But then what you seem to not be factoring in to what would count as foreplay as performed by you is his hair trigger, is the fact that you know if you start blowing him, he's going to come. So you can't suck his dick for 20 minutes and then move on to penetrative sex for the big finish because if you suck his dick for even a little bit from the sound of things, he's going to come. So what do you do? Well, you don't suck his dick. There's all sorts of different kinds of foreplay that you can engage in with your boyfriend that don't involve directly stimulating the shaft or head of his cock, where you're not stroking him, where you're not sucking his dick. You can suck his balls. You can chew on and suck his taint. You can play with his ass. You can p- play with his nipples. Some straight guys have a problem going there. Some straight guys only realize they enjoy having their nipples played with far too late in life and missed out on all sorts of nip play, nipple play, tit play pleasures that their gay male friends have been enjoying or enjoyed all their lives because their gay male friends don't have hang-ups about enjoying tit play seeming feminine, you know, being on the receiving end of tit play being feminine. He might really like tit play. Maybe he likes having his armpits licked. If you explore different parts of his body, if you took the foreplay focus off his dick, there's potentially all kinds of foreplay that you can engage in where you're the active one, he's the passive one, you're performing the foreplay, you're giving him pleasure, but you're not risking that orgasm that is going to result in you two not being able to finish up with PIV, which it sounds like you both want to finish up with. So get exploring. What else? What other erogenous zones does your boyfriend have on his body? If every time you've paid attention to him erotically or, you know, used your mouth on him, it's always been about his dick. He may have, you know, you've been his only sex partner all these years. He may have undiscovered erogenous zones. Sometimes you only realize that you really love to have your ass ate the first time someone eats your ass. Sometimes you only realize that it feels really good to have your armpits licked when somebody shows a little initiative and licks your armpits. They go there to to experiment, to see. So I would encourage you to get creative. Find some different kinds of foreplay where the focus and the pleasure and the stimulation aren't on his dick and then go to town. And even though he is the expert on his dick, like I said, sometimes we don't realize 
that having our tits played with, having our armpits eaten out, having our taints sucked or, or, or chewed on or our balls pulled, sometimes we don't realize that those things turn us on and, and are hot and that we have erogenous zones in all of these other places until someone gives it a try. Sometimes, even though we're experts on our dicks, we are not the expert on our tits or we are not the experts on our armpits or taints because no one went there and we never explored those erogenous zones solo on our own the same way we explored our own genitals. We explored masturbation as boys or hopefully young girls. Everybody should masturbate. So a non-genital, non-penis, non-pussy erogenous zone can really sneak up on us. It can surprise us. Somebody goes through the first time and you're like, oh my God, wow. That's your job here. That's your mission. Find some new places to go on his body that will drive him crazy and not make him come too soon. Hey, Dan. I was hoping that you would have a financial person go on and, you know, explore the world of fin dom, financial domination, because I feel like there is a line that sometimes gets crossed whereby you know, a family is struggling and the breadwinner is just giving the money to his fin, fin dom instead of, you know, putting money towards his family. So I'm just wondering what the boundaries are around that, because obviously if a family is starving and the fin dom is doing really well, that is a bad scenario. We could have, I guess, a financial person on to talk about this, but I would so much rather talk about it with a domination person. The kinky Barbie Dom goddess Charlotte Lashes joins me by phone. Goddess Charlotte, welcome to the Savage Lovecast. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Uh, my pleasure. I, I talked about you uh, at the top of the, the show last week. It's so nice to get to talk with you. Talked about your policy that you announced on Twitter and in a blog post saying no unvaxxed people in your dungeon or playroom or studio. And I think everyone needs to follow your lead there. Countries, restaurants, other dungeons. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. Um, I think it's really important that we, you know, set healthy boundaries for ourselves and maybe set a good example for the rest of the country on how to set their own boundaries and enforce them for their own safety. Did you get any pushback? Um, I've had a few people try to bargain with me and find other ways that they can convince me that they are healthy. Um, and I've had to turn some people down because of that. I don't think that sending a negative test result after you've had COVID is enough to convince me that you're a safe person to have in my space. And it really is a privilege to come to visit me in the first place. Um, I'm not a commodity. I think of myself as a luxury service. And not everybody can um, have the privilege of experiencing that luxury, and that's okay. Seems to me, you know, the cliche is that there are a lot of guys out there, men out there into being dominated, and a lot of them are, you know, conservative or powerful. It seems that, you know, knowing what we know about the people who are not getting vaccinated, they may be overrepresented as a percentage uh, in a professional dominatrix's client base. And so that's just one of the reasons I so admire what you did there, what what you're doing right now. (laughs) 
I hear that there are a number of um, ladies and uh, and pro doms um, across the country that are also enforcing this policy, and it really is very heartening to know that um, we are not just um, posing as as dominant women out there; that we are actually having uh, real boundaries and really enforcing those policies, not only for our own you know benefit and health but really for the benefit and health of the other people that want to come in and visit us after that person um, that we're, you know, putting under such scrutiny. Um, It's really important that we don't become carriers of something that we don't know we are possibly, and then hurting somebody that has not had their COVID shots um, by passing them on, um, you know, possible variant. Have you heard from anyone that you inspired to go get vaccinated so they can visit you? Um, I haven't yet, but I do just try to keep the communication open. I try to talk about this a lot on my cam show, too. I I very, very um, regularly like to bring up some politics, some things about COVID, um, just to put them on the table so that we can talk about them. And if people don't want to, they don't have to be at the show. But for the most part, I think I try to illuminate a lot of things that are very taboo or are just not spoken about very much, maybe in their waking life and their um, you know straight life, and and I think it's important to have those conversations. They're not going to go away. Those things are not going to go away. They need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you try to keep communication open about touchy subjects, um, the more likely they are to be addressed, and the closer we are to having real answers and real movement. I follow so many pro doms online that some of my uh, people who've checked out my Twitter have, have raised suspicions, wondered if I'm also a client or if I'm buy for domination. But the reason I do it, and I think it's why I vibe with so many pro doms is so many uh, pro doms like Goddess Charlotte, you, others that I follow, don't just talk about sex, also talk about politics, also talk about social issues. And I think that's what I've always been doing. You know, going back to the very start of Savage Love 30 years ago, I would talk about politics. I know, it's a long time ago. I would talk about politics too and other things and social (laughs) issues and health, not just sex. And I would hear from people, just stick to sex. Don't talk about politics. And, And, you know, sex and politics are, particularly in the United States, linked. And if conservatives want us to leave politics alone, they should leave fucking sex alone and they don't. So I'm going to talk about it. And I just, I, I, I recognize in so many pro doms and their online presence at the blogs, what they're tweeting out, what they're saying. I think that same quality, you know, in myself. And it's why I follow so many pro doms because so many of your colleagues, compatriots raise comrades. important issues, comrades <laughs> raise important issues. Yes. And aren't afraid to talk about them, and I and I so admire that. Thank you. I think that a lot of um, a lot of sex, especially in the U.S., has been very controversial and political. I mean, in the last, I'll say, you know, I mean, it has been forever, but especially when it comes to um, you know gay rights and uh, you know gay liberation. Um, you know, at one point in our country, it was illegal to be gay, and that is terrible um, to to show your love with your partner or to be out on the street holding hands was super controversial and very taboo for a lot of America. But I think by, you know, experiencing these, these uprisings like Stonewall and Compton's cafeteria riots, you know, it really brings more of that um, controversy to the fore to really 
to take a look at and scrutinize that it's not bad to be gay. It's okay to be gay. Um, it's okay to be kinky. Um, these things are, these things don't make you an unhealthy person and people have tried to politicize them in the past and it's not, uh, it doesn't have to be a political thing as far as conservatives are concerned. I think they're more afraid of exploring it themselves. And that tells me more about how they feel about their own sexuality than it does about how they see other people's sexuality. So I think that's why they try to turn it into such a a boogeyman. To say nothing of conservatives who want to rest control of women's bodies from women themselves. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, there's just been a war on um, <laughs> on the women's, on women's bodies for a long time. But, you know, I think uh, it's just really important to continue to have conversations, to be, to be a rabble rouser, as you were kind of alluding to before, um, because it's important. If we don't talk about these things, if we just continue to be quiet about them, then, you know, people won't know that that's an option for their own life. Um, you can be a sexual outlaw and you can do it safely. You can um, have fun. You can explore and have a very broad and, and like wonderful, rich life. Um, that's not just hurling towards the end so quickly. Right, right. <laughs> and there are there are definitely prejudices directed at sex workers uh, where mm-hmm. people assume sex, work, sex workers have no boundaries or aren't entitled to boundaries which is one oh of the God. reasons I really admired what you did and admire so many of the sex workers I follow online, including pro-doms, who are very clear about a sex worker's right to set boundaries and dictate boundaries. Let, let, let's get to this call, um, which was my sure. excuse to, to, to have you on. I really just wanted to chat with you. But let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about this call. Um, Finn Dom. Absolutely. How many mm-hmm. families are out there starving because the breadwinner is sending all the money that he makes to Findoms. How big an issue is that in the Fin sub community? Well, um, I'll tell you right now, uh, that call told me a lot about what this person is into. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of odd, but I think it was really, um, I really think it was Zirkoff material, to be honest. Um, it's not uncommon for men. And I'll talk about my camp show really quickly because it's very common that I see this happen. Uh, people will come in and they'll say, oh, you know, this money should be going towards my uh, daughter's college fund. That particular caller really triggered me. And I had to say, no, I cannot talk to you. Um, only because it uh, it just seemed very, mm, at first it didn't, it didn't grok with me. I couldn't get down with it. Um, that was pretty early on. But, you know, when people mention their families, when it comes to something like Tindom, to me, it sounds like that is actually part of their fantasy. And if they didn't really want to include that information, they wouldn't. So I really do believe that this particular caller might have enjoyed that fantasy in their mind and wanted to share that, bring it to a higher vibration and share it with people by speaking it into reality. And I don't see too often that uh, responsible fin subs are putting their families at risk. This this caller also is so funny because it's um, they're assuming that their their wife has no autonomy and that she can't also go out there and become her own fin dom and maybe um, you know take care of herself while her husband is over here thinking that she's just incapable of doing anything. So I just thought that was kind of funny that you know the way he 
spoke that, um, you know, his question was very much as if the, the man is the sole breadwinner in the family, um, that women don't have the power to go out and, you know, make their own money. Um, and on top of that, maybe become the thin dom that might be. And a responsible thin dom. You know, we talk about <laughs> responsible fin subs not, you know, giving away their daughter's college fund. If you look at right. fin dom accounts online, and a lot of fin doms mm-hmm. on Twitter will you know, put up what they're getting, put up, you know, evidence of the money they've been sent. It's almost always very small amounts. People aren't demanding that condos be signed over to them. Once, 15, 20 years ago, there was a case where early on in the sort of emergence of FinDom as a kink into the public eye, there was a very famous case in Florida where an elderly man had signed over some property where he lived to a FinDom mm-hmm. and the FinDom was mm-hmm. prosecuted for elder abuse and taking advantage. If that happened mm-hmm. all the time, we would hear about it all the time. The media is just so primed to stigmatize sex work, to go after sex workers. If this was at all common that children were starving mm-hmm. because irresponsible FinDoms were taking everything, we would hear about it. Absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence, but I think in this case we can infer that mm-hmm. this ain't happening. And the evidence of proportionate responsible fin domination is all over the internet for people to see. We're talking about 10 bucks at a time, 50 bucks at a time, 70 bucks at a time, not hundreds, not thousands. Well, yeah, let me tell you, I have to say, um, I've learned from a couple of really important doms that are out there. One is Princess Kali. She's a wonderful teacher. And so is goddess Faustine Cox. She's from the Bay Area. They taught some wonderful classes on ethical and more sensual syndrome, and I really like their approach, and I've tried to really, you know, uh, adopt some of those principles for myself, but it really doesn't, it, it's not a big amount, like you're saying. Um, I also think this really has a lot to do with the autonomy of the fin sub. What are they willing to do? When are they going to put their foot down and, and you know, express their own boundaries about things? How are we negotiating up front? There's a lot to consider. And it's not just the big bad dom that's doing all of the taking because if something is being offered. So if something wasn't offered, then it wouldn't be up to be acquired by the fin dom. So, you know, it, it takes two to tango, like they say. And I think it's really important to, you know, to acknowledge that, yes, smaller amounts are are definitely worthy and very appreciated because those little those little um, donations and those little tributes and things really do add up, and they they really do so that we have sinsas out there that are thinking about our lives, about our. Um, I mean, I got a I got a tip the other day because I took my cat to the vet. So I mean, it was just really lovely that people out there see us as human beings and that we have needs that might they might not be able to cover the entire amount, but just that they're trying to give what they can. And I think to, that just really warms my heart. And I will take that any day of the week than having somebody throw a, you know, a thousand dollars in a bag at my feet and driving off and I never hear from them again. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. I think that um, this, this caller is also assuming that um, men have no control and they have no ability or, or any sin sub, I should say, gender um, non-specific. Um, that the person that's the fin sub has no autonomy and that's just not true. So they have their voice. We have our voice. We communicate, we negotiate. And that's really the most important part 
um, is that we continue to keep communication open between us. Um, and if somebody needs to call the scene or call a limit, then that's respectable. And we both appreciate that each other is able to um, state our clear boundaries with each other. I think that's that's better than uh, taking something from somebody against their will. I, I don't think I could do that kind of work, to be honest. And I don't think it happens. I need things but, to be people like, No, People always like to be worried about if they can conjure up a hypothetical victim or hypothetical scenario where something that oh, people right. are doing yeah. and enjoying responsibly could be done irresponsibly. They'll worry about the mm-hmm. irresponsible version of this thing that is going on. It's very common. It's very prevalent. And in almost all cases is, is not being abused. Goddess Charlotte, can, can, can I keep you around for one more phone call? Absolutely. Thank you. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am a 28-year-old bisexual woman living in Los Angeles, and I've been dating a lovely 24-year-old guy for a few months now. He is not from here. He is currently trying to get another visa to stay, and he's really lovely. He's honestly the most emotionally mature person I've ever dated, and he's not vaccinated. I am. He's not. He wants to be, but his mom is an anti-vaxxer, and she has told him that if he gets vaccinated, she will disown him, and he has expressed to me that he's not in a financially secure enough position to risk being completely disowned by his family. And I've tried to tell him, like, I don't think your mom would actually disown you. What kind of mom would do that? And he's, like, convinced that she will or would. Um, Also, vaccines are technically under HIPAA. His mom can't just, like, hack the mainframe and know that he's been vaccinated. But she's his mom, and he knows her a lot better than I do, obviously. And apparently she's the type to just interrogate until you're telling her the truth so then she can be mad at you. Which honestly sounds to me very similar to some of the abusive, toxic relationships I've been in in the past. So that's not great. I'm just wondering what I can do to help him get vaccinated, I guess, because I really like him. We really enjoy each other's company. We've only been dating for a little while. But, you know, the Delta variant has been claiming the lives of a lot of young people. Studies have shown it's been killing more young people than the other variants that we've had. So I worry about him. I know it's not my business what he does with his body, but he wants to be vaccinated. It's just because of his mom that he feels like he can't be. This really stresses me out because I don't want him to get fucking sick and die. I haven't known him that long, but I'd be sad if he got COVID. Also, you know, he might need to get a visa through his parents' work. So that's another, you know, layer to it. But basically... It feels to me like his mom's controlling bullshit is making him put his life in danger. I'm a little concerned that this is the most emotionally mature person the caller has ever dated. That worries me. Yeah, um, I think, well, first of all, this this, uh, young man is 24 years old, so he's an adult, is what I've gathered. He's an adult and he's afraid of his mommy, which makes me think he's not all that emotionally mature. I don't want to, you know, go immediately to he's afraid of his mommy, but it does sound like he doesn't have the ability to stand up to his mother. And that's something that, um, yeah, emotionally, uh, if you want to be emotionally mature and you need to create boundaries with your family as well as your loved lovers or anything like that. And it doesn't sound like he has those, even though he's 24 years old. So the caller really sort of uh, seems to think that she needs to do something and save him from his mom. 
so it does feel a little bit like you know you know woman woman against woman, which is very common um, sort of thing in our in our society, which is unfortunate. It's not really giving this um, boyfriend a whole lot of giving him any credit to try to do what he needs to do for himself between he and his mother, which um, girlfriend really has no say in. That's between he him and his mom. If he wants to get a, sh- he needs to just try to go and get a shot if he really wants to get a shot. But I also have to go back to girlfriend for a second. She to have, um, you know, proven that her boundary is not that uh, he needs to get a shot at all. So she's she's already sort of let her guard down by allowing an unvaxxed person into um, her bed. I guess I don't want to pour poison in the caller's ear, but I'm going to float the possibility that he's lying or exaggerating and that he may not want to get vaccinated and rather than take responsibility or take irresponsibility for that moronic <laughs> choice, he's pointing a finger right. at his mother. You know, she says that he uh, is an immigrant, that he needs to get a visa. Where is mom? Is mom on the other side of the world? Is mom down the block? Uh, mom's kind of a fin She's threatening to disown him or cut him off when he needs her financial support if he does this thing that she doesn't want him to do right but if she's far away (laughs) yeah if she's far away he could get vaccinated and leave the vax card at your apartment caller and just not tell his mommy that he got vaccinated and if that obvious solution he won't avail himself of it it makes me think that he doesn't want to get vaccinated and like you said goddess charlotte he's pitting one woman against another and saying, oh, you know, it's a conflict between my girlfriend and my mom and I have no agency, responsibility, control. And that's just bullshit. Like the caller frames the entire conflict about, you know, this crazy mom that I assume she's never met. Mom, yeah. Yeah, she uses very interesting language too. And I think like crazy, you know, that's, you know, it's a really triggering word for a lot of people because um, nobody wants to be crazy. Nobody wants to be discredited. And when you say somebody is crazy, you sort of discredit them. So I don't want to give the mom too much power here. I'm actually going to put all the onus on um, boyfriend. I'm sorry, I don't know what his name is. I'm calling him boyfriend. And he just really needs to grow up here and talk to his mom. Let him, you know, let her know that either like don't tell her and just hold on to that information for yourself. I mean, do you tell your mom everything? Not all the time, right? Um, do you need to tell her about this one thing? I don't think that's super important. Um, but also, if you want to travel outside of the U.S., don't you need your vaccination? Mm-hmm. Don't you need vaccinations to um, go into other countries? Um, as far as I know, I think that's the policy. So, you know, I think he's really putting everything on, on the women in his life. That way he doesn't have to do anything. And I think that's super um, immature of him. So... Emotionally, image, uh, emotionally mature, not so sure about that. Uh, I realize, <laughs> I realize got, that crazy yeah. is ableist language and people object to it, but I, don't, I struggle to find words to describe people who hear that 99% of the people dying in hospitals mm-hmm. are unvaccinated and still won't get vaccinated and don't want their own children to get vaccinated or right. vaccinate their own children. That just seems... It's foolish. Fool- okay, there's it's a, foolish. that's the word. That's the word. That's a better word. I was going, it is what is folly. that? Insane? Lunacy? Nuts? Foolish. It's foolish. <laughs> it's, it's foolishness. Foolish to the point of... It's, of, it's of irresponsible. Of, and negligence. Absolutely. But I got to say, caller, you should tell him to like sort it out with his mom, but you're not going to see him again until he's vaccinated, period, the end. 
Because while we talk about 99, it's 99.5% of the people dying in hospitals are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. There is that 0.05% who are vaccinated, right. getting COVID and dying. And caller, you don't want to be in the 0.05%. So you're taking exactly. a risk right now, too. And you should. That's you should my girlfriend. Tolerate. We don't want that to happen to you. No, no, we <laughs> don't. And the fact that this guy that you've just met, the most emotionally mature person you've ever dated, is pulling you into drama with his mama this early that in the relationship. That would be an immediate red flag. That's yeah, it would be a red flag, flag for me too. I would be, I would be heading for the door, showing them the door. Yeah. If a 24-year-old man can't step up and talk to his mom about real-life stuff and life-and-death stuff, then I'm not sure he really deserves the keys to um, any pussy. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know if that's really something to, you know, award him with um, for his inability to be emotionally mature. So that's all. The kinky Barbie Dom goddess Charlotte Lashes. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone today. Where can uh, my listeners find you online? Oh my gosh, there are a number of places, but the most important place you can go to is kinkybarbiedom.com. I have all kinds of information there, blog posts and links on how you can get to my webcam show, as well as applications to visit me in the dungeon. You have to prove your vaccination status to me in order to have access. So I look forward to those vax cards coming in the mail, everyone. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me. Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. I hope you'll come back on the show. Absolutely. And um, thank you for this opportunity. This was lots of fun. Hey, Dan. So I have an issue. I'm dating uh, a girl. And uh, she's got really bad breath. And it's not just like, oh, she had coffee. Like, it literally, it's like some, it smells like gastrointestinal or something, like acidic. It's, it's just so off-putting. And nonetheless, I like her. She's great. But we're starting to move toward a relationship. And this is such an issue that I it makes me question whether I want to commit to her. Because I can't imagine being with her in the long term if this is going to just be something I have to deal with. So I, I, my question is, how do I approach this without offending her? You know, it kind of seems like a delicate situation and I don't want to be insensitive, but at the same time, you know, like I, if I, if I stank or something's wrong with me, I would want to know about it. You know, and what do I do? How do I go about this? How should I approach it? I'm so conflicted about what to tell you. One of the things I want people to do is never to leave someone in worse condition than you found them. It's always the campsite rule. Leave someone in better condition than you found them. And there's a real chance here if you go to this woman that you're dating who's lovely in every other way and say you're thinking about breaking up with her because she has such bad breath – She may already know that and she may already have gone to a doctor. There may not be anything that she can do about that. And you leveling with her and being truthful could inflict so much emotional damage that you would wind up leaving her in worse shape than you found her and she might be too fearful to get out there and date someone else, date somebody with long COVID who no longer has a sense of smell perhaps. There's also a possibility, particularly if you guys are young, that no one has told her this, that no one's had the temerity, that everyone has shied away from bringing this up because they didn't want to hurt her feelings. 
because they didn't want to leave her in worse shape than they found her, whether we're talking about a romantic relationship or a friendship or a familial relationship. And so I'm just, I'm so torn. It could be something that she could do something about. It could be a, a, a medical condition, a gastrointestinal condition. It could be a dental condition that she could get treated and then wouldn't have this problem that perhaps because it lives in her mouth, she's not aware she has anymore. A problem that some people with halitosis, a problem that can negatively impact job prospects, romantic prospects, interfere with friendships. And so if she's not aware of it and hasn't done anything about it, hasn't known to do anything about it, you telling her could vastly improve her life and could leave her in better shape than you found her if the relationship should end. And so I'm just so torn. Also breaking up with her without giving her a reason why you broke up with her because you didn't want to bring up what was at issue. That could leave her in worse shape than you found her too. So since there are two things that you could do that might leave her in worse shape than you found her and one thing you could do that might leave her in better shape if the relationship should end than you found her, I'm going to urge you to do that one thing that might leave her in better shape, which is to risk saying something. She might shoot the messenger. You should brace yourself for an execution, a relationship execution. You should brace, brace yourself for getting broken up with at dawn because it's not an easy thing to hear. It's not an easy thing to be told. But it might be something that, again, no one's had the courage to bring up in the past and something that she could fix, she could do something about if she were to speak to her doctor or her dentist or both. So – I'm going to urge you to say something, and I'm also going to punt this to any listeners out there who may have been in either position here, the partner with the bad breath that maybe you didn't realize or didn't know about, and the person dating that person who was conflicted about whether to say something. If you're ever in either of those positions and said something, please call. Let us know how that went. Get those calls into us soon, and maybe this caller can factor your experience into the decision he ultimately makes. Hey, Dan. I'm your gay male. I live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm 38 years old and just coming out of this pandemic. I haven't had sex in probably almost a year and a half now. And I've been looking around and this guy just recently reached out to me and we hit it off. Um, on Grinder, but the thing is, he's married, and he's looking for friends with benefits. And then it says that he says that he's bisexual. And it sounds like he's closeted bisexual. So I, I am so down for friends with benefits. But then I started thinking about his wife. If I did start hooking up with him, how would I be able to do that while respecting his wife without even knowing her? But definitely use protection and stuff like that. But should I go on with this? Should I, should I say no? Or should I just jump into it? Cause I, I really want to jump into it after a year and a half but at the same time. I don't really know his situation. I don't even know if his wife is cool with it. I don't know what I should do. Uh, should I jump into this? Uh, he wants it to be discreet. I've been out for 14 years, but I told him I can be discreet, but Right now, I'm single, so I don't really like I, I I'm down for playing around for a while, but I don't really know what to do. When someone in a situation like this tells you they want to be discreet, they have to be discreet. 
you're allowed to ask a follow-up question. You're allowed to ask why it needs to be discreet. Are you cheating? And then you're going to get an answer and you can make an informed decision after getting that answer. Because I think, you know, this is an issue that a lot of people want to treat as black and white. You're participating perhaps in an affair or an infidelity and that makes you morally culpable or morally responsible or morally tainted and you just shouldn't. But there are gray areas and seeing the gray or wanting to color in the gray, that can be or feel like you're just making rationalizations. But it may be the case that he has a DADT permission slip from his wife that she knows he's by but doesn't want to think about it. And he can get that need met elsewhere so long as at her request and out of consideration for her feelings, he is as discreet as humanly possible and it doesn't get back to her. You would just have to take his word for it if that's what he told you. It could also be that he's been with his wife. You don't say give his age or how long he's been married. It could be that he's been with his wife for a very long time and the sex in their marriage collapsed a long time ago and they have now a functional, dysfunctional companionate relationship. Maybe they have kids. They don't want to get divorced, but they're not fucking each other and he feels free to get his sexual needs met elsewhere and it is in the ultimate best interest of his wife, his family, that he do that, that he does what he needs to do to stay married and stay sane and perhaps what he needs to do to stay married and stay sane is you. And so you may be helping him out and even though she wouldn't like to know about it or think about it and might be angry if she found out about it, you would be perhaps helping her out. Again, I said I'm in the gray area. You know, I have the gray crayon in the gray area and I'm furiously coloring it in to make it gray. It is a rationalization. But based on what this guy tells you after you ask him, and I think you should ask him, are you married? Are you married to a woman? Does she know that you play with other guys? Is it okay with her? Asking those questions isn't a no. You're not giving him a no. Because I think there are circumstances under which even if it wasn't okay with her, hypothetically, if she knew about it, you could still go ahead with it without having to feel terrible about yourself. And if it wasn't you, it would be someone else. It's not like he's going to get a no from you and then stop looking for dick. So if you're going into it, really committed to using condoms, really committed to being as safe as humanly possible, even though cheating, not a great choice, not a great thing to do, going to be a shit show if she finds out, cheating with you may be a better bet for all involved, him and the wife included, than cheating with some other guy who might not be as committed to safety for his own sake, but also for the sake of his affair partner's spouse or committed as you are committed to or, or willing to accept as you are willing to accept the limitations that absolute discretion would put on this connection. So yeah, in the best of all possible worlds, he would be out there doing this with his wife's permission or his wife would be totally turned on about the idea and want to hear about the dick he sucked when he got home that night or in the, you know, super ultra best of all possible worlds. He wouldn't be cheating on his wife at all. Well, I guess the super ultra best of all possible worlds would be that they're both into it because then it's something that they share and they both get off on and it strengthens their sexual connection. But that seems unlikely. Most of the bi-married guys on Twitter who ask for discretion are not in relationships with women who are psyched about their husbands being bi if they even know their husbands are bi. And my feeling, having dinked around on Grinder a bit for research purposes and to keep up with everybody, is that 
the wives generally of the bi-closeted guys don't know. It's a moral dilemma that you're in. And I respect the choice either way. There are people out there who will not sleep with partnered people who are cheating, whatever their reasons might be, whatever their rationalizations, whatever their given particular circumstances might be, even if getting sex outside the relationship makes it possible for the relationship to continue, even if that relationship continuing is in the best interest of all involved, which it sometimes is. Everyone's so quick to say, oh, you should just break up if you want sex and you're not getting it from your spouse. As if people don't have kids together, as if people's finances aren't intermingled, as if a spouse can't be economically dependent on a person in such a way that leaving them, abandoning them would be the greater betrayal. So before you make a decision, because you have qualms, you need more information from this guy. You need to determine to the best of your ability, to the extent that you can, whether this is good cheating or bad cheating. Cheating still, yes, yes, it's cheating still. But it could be not just cheating that I would allow or that I could rationalize here with my gray crayon and the now fully gray zone, but cheating that does good for all involved. Hey, Dan. Early 30s, cis poly woman calling you with questions about my sexuality and dating. For about a decade now, I've identified as bisexual slash pansexual. But I'm starting to wonder how accurate that is. I've long known that I can be attracted to male, female, and gender nonconforming or androgynous people's physical forms. But I'm realizing that when it comes to genitalia, I'm pretty phallophilic. I enjoy sex with women. I find them extremely attractive. But anything to do with another vagina is the least exciting part of sex for me. I'm not turned off by them by any means. I just feel very neutral about those acts. Aside from enjoying giving my partner sexual pleasure, of course. In contrast, I love cock. (laughs) So it seems like it's the, quote, female form that I'm attracted to rather than the genitalia. For example, and I really hope this next part isn't offensive to my trans friends out there. When I watch porn, I'm not attracted to trans men who haven't had bottom gender confirmation surgery. However, I'm extremely attracted to trans women who haven't had bottom gender confirmation surgery. So Dan, I have two questions for you. One, what am I? Do the bi-pan labels cover the nuance I just described? Or is there a more accurate way to identify myself? And I guess, does it matter? Two, since genitalia have such an impact on my sexual attraction to folks, If I were to date a trans man, which I'm totally up for, is there any acceptable and respectful way to find out their confirmation surgery status prior to becoming intimate? Because my understanding is that you don't ask people about their genitalia because it's invasive, rude, and none your business. However, without knowing that, I'd worry that I'd get to the point of becoming intimate with this wonderful person and possibly find out that their combination of gender presentation and genitalia just doesn't match up with my sexual attraction. And that seems like it would be not great for everyone and even potentially dysphoria triggering. 
should I just not date trans men? That seems crappy, but is that the less crappy option? I know a guy, a cisgendered man, who identifies as bi and pan, even though he has an extremely limited repertoire when it comes to having sex with men. Basically, another man can jerk him off or suck his dick. That's it. He doesn't suck dick. He doesn't like to get fucked. He doesn't fuck other men in the ass. Where he can engage with other men is around, I guess, to some extent being serviced. These are really sexy encounters for him. He really enjoys them. The guys that he gets with, he communicates his limitations to before they have sex. So they know what they're going to get. And of course, then he goes to bed with guys who are excited to get that from him. He is bisexual. He has sex with men. He just has a very, there's such a very tiny menu of sex acts and kinds of sexual engagement that he enjoys with men. You are bisexual. You are pansexual. You enjoy sex with women. You just don't enjoy pussy. You're not so into female genitalia. That doesn't mean you can't identify as bi or pan. There are a lot of women out there. I've met women who identified as lesbians who had some of them identified also as pillow princesses or were with women, lesbians who identified as bull dykes or bull daggers. I knew a lot of them when I was young and first came out in Chicago a million years ago. And these bull daggers didn't really want, and I imagine many of these women that I knew 30 years ago, 40 years ago in Chicago when I first came out who identified as bull daggers have since transitioned or maybe perhaps would have transitioned earlier in their lives had that been an option that more people were aware of at the time, but most of them didn't want these bulldaggers, didn't want anyone to touch or pay attention to their genitals, to their pussies. They just wanted to eat pussy and fuck or finger bang or fist. You can sleep with women or people, not women. You can sleep with people who have vaginas who have that same kind of sexual interest Some people who are trans, some trans men don't want their sex partners to pay any attention to their vaginas, if they still have vaginas, to the genitals that they were born with, because it can trigger dysphoria. So rather than, you know, you're in this position where some of the trans men you might be attracted to who still have vaginas and may always have vaginas because not everyone gets bottom surgery. No one needs to get bottom surgery to be the man that they are. But some may want you to pay attention to their genitals and could trigger feelings of dysphoria if you didn't. And some may not want you to pay any attention to their genitals. And it could trigger feelings of dysphoria if you did. That posits you got to communicate with the people that you're going to bed with, whether they're trans or cis, and be clear about who you are without judging or shutting them down. And if you tell someone who's a cisgendered woman or a trans man that Pussy's kind of a a limit for you that you enjoy receiving oral sex, that you enjoy getting finger banged or pegged or playing with toys, rolling around. You enjoy making out, tits, everything else except that you're just owning who you are sexually and communicating to your potential partners who you are sexually and then they can opt in or opt out. And I don't think that's transphobic. I don't think that's biphobic. I don't think that's gynophobic. It's a fact about you and your preferences, what you enjoy, where you can go. Just like my friend, the the bi guy who you can jerk him off, you can suck his dick, but he's not going to suck yours and not going to jerk you off and you're not going to fuck his ass and he's not going to fuck yours. It's not homophobic that he 
can only engage with other men to the extent that he can and to the extent that he enjoys it. And he's clear with other men about his limits so that they don't have to go to bed with him if they're going to feel rejected or hurt by his limitations. But he's clear that they're his limitations, not a problem with their bodies. And I would advise you to adopt the same tack. Rather than interrogating people about what genitals they might have, be clear about the kind of sex that you are interested in. Then they don't have to tell you if you're dating a trans man anything about their genitals because they'll know based on what you've told them about you whether you're someone they want to go to bed with. All right, before we get to listener response calls, let's read your tweets about recent shows within and without tweets on the subject of the infiltration of lesbian bars by straight people. It's not just lesbian bars. I can't go to a drag show in town without being inundated with bachelorette parties, but I'm told I'm the villain for wanting a gay space. You know, back in the day, a lot of gay bars banned bachelorette parties. This was before gay couples could get married. And the thought was, you know, it's really kind of fucking rude to celebrate your wedding and your precious right to get married in a bar full of guys who can't get married and don't have the same rights you do. But those bans were lifted after we got marriage equality. Perhaps the lesson here is that bars should have banned bachelorette parties, not because we couldn't get married, but because they, bachelorette parties and bachelor parties, are awful. Mar- Miriam tweets, thanks, Dan Savage, for the rare content warning on episode 769. Yes, I did stop slicing mushrooms for breakfast to enjoy the story about the famous electrician and kinky cutter who received rave reviews from his happy castrated customers. And finally, Valerie tweets, did you have a traumatic chicken salad event in your life at some point, Dan? I've been a Magnum subscriber for years, and every now and then you mentioned the dangers of chicken salad. I am so very curious. You know, I don't want to go into it, Valerie. It's a sore subject. All I'm going to say is chicken salad knows what chicken salad did. Maybe you should go ask chicken salad. They're on Twitter, at chicken salad. So, yeah, go ask chicken salad. You go ask chicken salad what chicken salad did. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who posted to social media about the show this week. We really, really appreciate it. Now, listener response calls. I just wanted to respond to Dan's advice to someone who's in a long-distance relationship with a man that her friend knows is fake. My mother got involved in a romance scam, and there's an entire industry in East Africa in romance scams with Westerners, and it's very well developed. And the whole model is to get the person hooked on the attention so that their addiction takes over. There are texts involved that are texted out to the person on a routine basis from bots that look like they're from a human. And so it gets the person addicted to that attention. Once my mother fell victim to the first scam, then her name was placed on the dark web and a second romance scammer found the name and contacted her because he knew she was a mark and she had already lost tens of thousands of dollars. So there's a whole industry out there. It can lead to into a very dark place. I went to the FBI. They have so many of these cases that they can't even follow individual cases because there are so, so, so many of them. And so it's such a tragic 
industry. And I just um, want Dan to know that he needs to reverse that advice and make people more aware of the danger. Hey, Dan, I'm just responding to somebody's dilemma from episode 770. It's with regards to the woman whose boyfriend and father of her infant child is really obsessed and participating in a lot of BDSM online. He should not be trusted with her eight-month-old. While she was away, he was being a sub 24-7. Yo, I got a nine-month-old, and she requires, like, complete attention. That's really gross. I wouldn't trust him. You need to focus on your kid. Put that shit aside. Hey, Dan, this is in response to the caller in episode 770 who is apprehensive about pegging. I just wanted to say that the advice Dan gave was pretty good. Taking things slow and building up to the actual act of being fucked is pretty important. I would also say that just like you would with any other kink, the person who wants their kink explored really needs to focus on taking your discomfort seriously and building trust with you so that you can both have this experience. And as Dan has already said in the past, if you aren't into the specific act or kink, but you are really into your partner's pleasure, then focusing on how much pleasure they get from this can give you a ton of pleasure. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question you want answered on the Savage Lovecast or a comment about this week's show? There are two ways to get them to us. You can use the Voice Memo app on your phone, like a tech savvy at Risk Youth would, and email us your question at voicemail at savagelovecast.com, or you can call us at 206-302-2064 and leave your question on our answering machine like it's 1985 or something. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival Hump is back in theaters this fall, screening our 2021 lineup. But if you miss seeing Hump in theaters with friends and strangers, now's your chance. That's why we're sending Hump 2021 out on tour. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash tour and find a city near you that's hosting my Dirty Little Film Festival. And this Thursday is the first Thursday of the month, which means that Magnum Savage Lovecast subscribers will be at SAC Lunch, our monthly online hangout, where we do Q&As together with our listeners in a casual Zoom format. If you're not already a Magnum subscriber, go to savagelovecast.com to become one. And if you are, you will receive an email with a link on the morning of August 5th's SAC Lunch. We will see you all there. Please don't forget to pre-order a copy of Savage Love from A to Z, my first illustrated collection of brand new adults-only essays celebrating the 30th anniversary of Savage Love, the comic. Go to savagelovecast.com slash shop to pre-order your copy today. Books go on sale September 21st. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Goddess Charlotte on Twitter at KinkyBarbieDom. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the techs have at risk youth and Nancy. And we'll be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.